All right, so you know, we had a lesson in Hosea. We had a lesson in, in Joel. The lesson in Joel tanked. It was really bad. Um, it's, it wasn't for lack of preparation. I hope you know that uh, we work really hard every time any of us is teaching. But sometimes it just doesn't. A good thing wasn't the plane. Because it would have just crashed completely and killed everybody <laughs> on board. Um, and we're going to return to the... Um, to the um, minor prophets in a future time. But I want to take a break from that. I'm very traumatized by it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and I wanted to actually expect, expect, spend the next few weeks, maybe till the end of the year, maybe to the end of January, and to talk about lies we live by. You know, there is a podcast called Truths to Live By. I want to talk about lies, lies that we live by, things that we hear so often that we start believing and or undiscerningly just consume and start living according to them. I'm going to flash about 12 or 13 statements here. I want you to think about what is it that they have in common, Okay. They're all going to show up at, um, one after the other, and at the end, we'll talk about them. So, follow your heart. Trust your instincts. They never lie. Live your truth. You are enough. You should put yourself first. Authenticity is everything. You only have one life. God just wants you to be happy. You shouldn't judge. You're the boss of you. It's all about love. Girl power is real power. Believe in yourself. You are perfect just as you are. What, are, what do these statements have in common? Or, and you can pick one or whatever, a couple. Yes, yeah, Sonia? None of them are Christ-centered. Christ -centered. Yes, what else do you notice about them? Self-centered, yes. Keith? Jerry stole his line. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Darius. There are lies that our culture is pushing right now. There are lies that our culture is, are, is pushing right now. Yes. What else? Heather. That truth is found within us. Truth is within us. Yes. Sonia. Life will really stink if you do these things. All, I think there's 12. All of them are from Christian blogs. And no offense, but they're all from Christian blogs written by women. Um, big names. And as we go through this month, we're going to, I'll cite names. We're going to name some names here. But this is not unknown little blogs. These are, these are people that are influencing millions of women in the evangelical world. Um, but you'd find the same on the male side too. Okay, so don't, don't get too proud, men. Yeah. What's that? We just don't read. We just, yes. You just don't read as much, yes. But these are statements that are constantly put before us by our culture. You know, social media, media influencers popularize them through even memes, 
I think if you go home and search, you're going to find little cute memes of all of these statements out there. Uh, streaming shows use them as themes for their stories or lack thereof. And we unthinkingly consume them and make them part of our philosophy of life. I love Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> I love them. Okay? And the beauty of it is like, is like track homes. You can use the same four plan for about 2,000 movies. Right? And it's almost all the same actors, too. Right? The guy from uh, uh, Calls the Heart is always in them. He's always a good guy, and so on. Um, Emily has been suffering through them uh, this, this season. But every Hallmark movie is based on at least one of these statements that we put up. If you think about it, pretty much every Hallmark Christmas movie is based on one of those 12 statements that um, we um, saw already. The problem is that these slogans that sound positive and life-affirming are really just lies that are unhinging us from truth, from reality, and from hope. Now, there are similarly infinite, an infinite number of ways that truth can be spun, manipulated, covered up, and even used to promote deception. And why is that? Why is that that there are so many ways? Why is that that, there, that <coughs> we find so many things that are so close to truth that is just one degree off that when you let it take its course, eventually it's so far from... Why, why is that? Why there are so many lies that are so close to truth? Why is there, there seems to be a, a, a purposeful attempt to change the truth to deceive people um, in our culture. Heather, you had your hand up. So that we'll believe them? So that we'll believe them, yes. Okay. But even under that, what, what is going on here? Linda? Yes, Satan is the father of lies. And they, uh, so that's one of the things that I want to bring up. There's another one. Right, but the other one doesn't have anything to do with Satan. Our heart. Our heart is deceitful, right? So, Satan and the heart, really, at the, 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 the two, these are the two quick answers of why is that, that there's so much deception out there. Satan is a liar, and the human heart is deceitful. Our Savior says in John eight forty four, you are of your, talking to the Pharisees, and he says, you are of the your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. I was talking to somebody about demon possession and the devil and so on. And do you realize, you know, in horror movies and, or in pop culture, the devil is always ugly and scary, and so on. But when you read the Bible, the devil is never presented that way. The devil is always attractive. The devil is always really close to truth. The devil is always presenting something that we want. Uh, there is no time where a demon is present, or, or, or the Satan is present, where he starts by saying, do not fear. Angels have to do that all the time. But the devil, it's not like that. 
is, he's attractive. He, he presents things the way that uh, appeals to us. Uh, Paul says that often he even can appear like an angel of light, something good and desirable, and to us at least. But he is a liar. And the heart, the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? No. <laughs> Verse 10 should go along with it. Of Jeremiah 17, it says, God, God knows. God knows our heart better than we do, but our hearts are deceitful. Notice that it's not deceivable, which they are, but also deceitful, the source of deceit as well. And contemporary Christianity has embraced these lies without batting an eye. I think a lot of the deconstruction of faith that is happening is not a deconstruction of real Christianity, but of this cultural Christianity that is kind of like the Bible, but not really. I'm actually trying to help somebody who, to use the modern term, is deconstructing their faith. What's the word that the Bible uses for that? Yeah, they're apostatizing. That's That's the word the Bible uses for it. But when he keeps on, when he starts describing to me the faith that he is deconstructing or removing meaning, that's what deconstruct. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's some sort of Christianity out there, but not necessarily biblical Christianity. And the church has kind of adopted that. A.W. Tozer. This is in honor of our former um, uh, Alliance people here. Keith, this is for you. Um, A.W. Tozer, in the early 1900s, mid-1900s, said this, Too much of contemporary Christianity is borrowed from the philosophies of the world or even other religions, phrases and models that on the surface look great, but are not rooted in scripture or that mostly bolster one's self-image. And he's writing in the 1950s, before Instagram, before social media, before any of these things. So... You can see this is not a modern thing, it's a perennial thing in the church. So we have to detect these lies. We have to detect the lies that we live by even without knowing that we're living by them. So we need a source of guidance for life more than ever before. People are looking to their own hearts, their own opinions, their own preferences, their own biases and their own predispositions to guide them through life. I was reading somebody who said, yes, the last time I trust my st- instinct, I end up in traffic court. <laughs> that's a, but that's what we're supposed to do, right? To, to really use that as what, determine, what determines our guidance in life. We have learned to trust our feelings, and that is leading to uh, all kinds of trouble, leading to all kinds of trouble, all kinds of problems. And as a culture, even in the church, we have elevated the advice of authors, influencers, and life coaches who just went through a life-altering experience or just made a life-changing decision to make them happy in the moment, but have not stood the test of time. We often uh, let the the biggest influences be people who just went through something, like five minutes ago. And somehow they are the experts on that thing. Or people who are in turmoil in their lives. And somehow they are the ones that we should uh, listen to. Their books come out within a few months of a major life change. 
divorce paradigm shift in identity or spiritual deconstruction, which they think helped them discover their true selves. And after, often their instructions include throwing out thousands of years of wisdom and a myriad of faithful and godly Bible teachers and replacing them with something they decided to try five minutes ago. And we often do that. We often do that in the church. Uh, how many times he, he, the, he, the guy that just got saved yesterday is put up, up here to tell the story of how great a sinner he was and, and so on. Not, I mean, not here. We don't do that here. But in the pulpit, instead of actually putting him in the cage for a couple of years just to make sure that uh, things are, are going okay. But we have this tendency Right? Something that just happened now, a minute ago, is supposed to be the, most, the wisest thing that we need to be listening to. And these are influencers of our culture, and we are supposed to follow them. That's what we're told. But reality is that we, you should not take life advice from someone who is in the middle of a major crisis unless... They are gleaning from the time-tested biblical wisdom and pointing us to Christ. So listen to them if they are actually just using this book. And that, that's pointing to Christ. You know, following these people is like flying a plane, being willing to fly in a plane, in, whose pilot just watched a couple YouTube videos about flying a plane, and now is at the helm. I don't know if that's what you call the flying ship. It's a Star Trek ship. Uh, uh, that, but that's what we're doing with our lives. And it's actually more dangerous to follow the advice of these people in our lives than to get in the plane with that kind of pilot. But it'd be unthinkable. For, we would say, you're crazy. I'm not going to get in that plane. And yet we are ready to listen to people who really don't know what they're talking about. So we need to have a right source of guidance for our life. Any comments or questions before we continue? So let's, let's build a firm foundation for life. And the most freeing and stabilizing thing we can do is to ditch the jargons and cling to the timeless truths of the Bible. Just cling to the Bible. You know, depression and anxiety are skyrocketing in society. The American Mental Health Association says that we are facing an epi- uh, epidemic of, of, of anxiety and depression, especially among, among Gen Z. Now, we hear these uh, terms, for, you know, generational terms throughout, and these names out there. So I'm going to flash here the, the commonly agreed upon generational names and um, age brackets, but the, the edges of the, those brackets are always disputed know, whether this generation started two years before or ended a year earlier or whatever, but the ballpark is there. The greatest, greatest generation, born in 1901-1924. Anybody from that one here? No? Okay. <laughs> the silent generation from 25 to 45. Anybody from here? You're from the silent generation, Keith? <laughs> so we have uh, Keith and Mrs. Lehman here. Uh, the next one is the baby boomer generation, 46 through 64. Okay, all right. So That's supposed to be the most selfish generation to ever live on the face of the earth. What's your point? 
is actually the, is also the largest generation to ever been to exist on the face of the earth. Generation X. That's me. All right. That's the smallest generation ever recorded. And we have to carry the baby boomers on our back. So that's just, yeah. Then millennials. Any millennials here? Go ahead. Be proud about it. Just raise your hand. This is supposed to be the most generous generation on record. The most generous generation on record. And then Gen Z, 95 to 2012. Any Gen Zs here? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. So this generation is being specially affected by all these little lies, and the result that is being observed is anxiety and depression and tiredness. Uh, you interview them, tiredness seems to be tired, and it's not just physical tired, it's tiredness of, tired of everything that uh, is going on there. Uh, the, the anxiety levels through the roof and a great incidence of depression uh, that doesn't match any of the statistical norms. You know how we have these norms that everybody should kind of gather towards it, and Gen Z tends to be, as a generation, a generation of outliers in anxiety and uh, depression there. For us Christians, recognizing who we are in Christ is the ultimate self-care. Because the Word of God doesn't reinvent itself along with, with a constantly changing culture. And secular researchers have said that they think that the level of anxiety and depression is there because this generation can't ground, ground themselves on anything. They feel like they are on sinking sand or, or shifting. Shifting what? Shifting sand too? They sink and shift at the same time. All right. Uh, but that's how they feel, and that's the anxiety and the depression, the tiredness from always having to move. And think about it. When uh, you guys, when we were in middle school and high school, for example, how uh, everything else in life is changing, and there's a desire for something that doesn't change, and this generation as a whole doesn't seem to have that, that anchor, and they're accountable for that, yeah, right? They're responsible but it's also our fault, the, the generations that went before them, who have failed to fight for the truths that the Bible teaches. As Psalm 78 says, receiving the truths from God, the great works of God from one generation and passing on to another uh, generation. And the scriptures give us the foundation for a steady life of joy in Christ. Remember what our Savior says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? He says, Whoever hears these saying, sayings of mine and does them, it, I will liken them <coughs> to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So that's, that's the, the people who stand on the word of Christ, which is the Bible. On the other hand, those who don't listen to the words of Jesus, to do them, are thrown about by the, the storms of life. Jesus says, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew 
and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Do you notice that doesn't say anything any different about the house? It's the same house, same kind of house. You can tell by looking outside. But where it's anchored, when the storms of life come, when the, the flesh flood comes down, then those that are not anchored in doing the word of Christ, they fall away. And as we build a foundation for life, it is very important that we realize that words matter. Words matter. With words constantly evolving in definition and meaning, figuring out how they are being used is very important. In order to discern if things are true or false, we need to really know what the words mean. Because words are always shifting meaning. Let me give an example about the word tolerance. Years ago, tolerance meant that even though you might disagree with someone else's opinion, you respected their right to say it and wouldn't retaliate with violence or abuse. So of the essence of tolerance was disagreement. Tolerance could not exist apart from disagreement. That's not how most people mean, what most people mean when they say they use the word today. Tolerance today means celebrating and affirming the opinion of someone else and never implying that they could be objectively wrong about anything, especially when it comes to morality or religion. Notice, however, that this modern use of tolerance is not just a redefinition. It is the exact opposite of what the word actually has meant historically. It is an emptying out of the meaning of the word and infusing it with other meaning altogether. Because really you cannot tolerate a person unless you disagree with him or her. Otherwise there's no, no place for toleration. Now tolerance is not the only word getting a modern day makeover. Can you think of other words that have completely changed meaning in the last 10 to 20 years? We're not talking about the, the normal evolution of language that takes place over two or three hundred years. I'm talking about 10 to 20 years. Male. <laughs> Female. Right? So we're not talking about complicated stuff here. Marriage. <laughs> what else? Gender. Gender. Okay. What? Love. Love. Yes. What else? Racist. 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 Yes. Hate. Love and hate right, have changed meanings. Bigot. That's another word that has changed its meaning. Oppression, justice, truth. These are all words that in the last 10 to 20 years have completely changed their meaning. And yet people are not very careful at figuring out what other people mean when they are using these words. Uh, this phenomenon is actually has as a name. It's called linguistic theft. So, you know, somebody wrote a PhD about it somewhere. And they even defined it as purposefully hijacking words, changing their definitions, and then using those words as tools of propaganda. The, the Third Reich was master at using um, Linguistic theft. Do you know the no, Third Reich, the, the German Nazi 
a party that came to power and so on. And well, sometimes the hijacking is unintentional, but a lot of times it is done on purpose. And, uh, but it, it happens unintentionally when we're not very careful with our words. You know, some people, <laughs> sometimes in Presbytery, we spend a lot of time, we're writing a document, and we spend a lot of time arguing about what words to use in people, and then we establish a committee, and the committee is to report in 40 years with, uh, a, you know, with a draft of, you know, the first draft of 10, and, and people say, oh, man, you guys, Presbyterians, just, because words matter. We have to be careful that we're using the right words. Here are five ways linguistic theft can undermine real communication. It can stop a conversation in its tracks. Okay? Accuse someone of hate speech and the conversation is over. Especially if you yell really loud. Hold on, Sonia, I'll be back to you in a second. Um, it can cause people to act before thinking through an issue all the way, uh, all the way thinking about an issue all the way through. Hear, hear hate, hear love, hear bigot, all of a sudden, oh, you, you act before you even think about, wait, 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 am I really hating here? Am I really being a bigot or not? And so on. It obscures the specifics. When we went, to, by the way, we weren't in a secret trip. Seems like everybody's wondering, why did you guys go last week? Because the elders kept it a secret uh, from us. And was, was that a, something wrong? No. We just went to visit Tini in Bakersfield. <laughs> but we flew into Burbank. And then Tini picked us up at the airport. And we went to Santa Monica for a bit. You know, to, and then they went, it was good, uh, not Good Friday, but Black Friday. And... Uh, and the girls went to the, into the store to shop, and I did what the husbands do, sat outside waiting for them to come out. And there was this protest. There was four women out there yelling, uh, pro-abortion pro women, and they kept on yelling the same time, the same thing, and some, nine out of ten people approached them was to disagree with them, not to agree with them. And every time somebody tried to engage them in a thoughtful discussion, they would just start screaming the same illogical argument over and over and over and over again. So this linguistic theft actually obscures the specifics and assumes the, the opposite of the, uh, the worst of the op opponents. And then it presents a negative as a positive or a positive as a negative. For example, the term pro-choice. It's presenting a negative thing. We want to kill babies with a positive spin, right? Every Christian is pro-choice. You know, somebody should choose not to have sex before marriage and so on. Or the term reproductive justice. Very positive, right? We all want justice. But what is meant by that? But we should be able to kill babies. So you can see that if we're not careful with our words, these little lies that we live by will go uncontested, uh, and we have to be careful that we don't do that. Sonia? I was going to say the phrase, check your privilege. <laughs> what is that? Check your privilege. Yes, because you're guilty of being white, right? Yeah. You know, we are re returning to a Babel society. Mm -hmm. Remember Babel? Mm -hmm. Why don't you grab your Bible and turn there to Genesis 11? <coughs> 
And the story of Babel really is in verses 1 through 9 of Genesis 11. All right. Um, you have your Bible open? Do you mind reading really loud verse 4? All right, so that's the, their purpose statement, right? That's their, the, their building project. This is their purpose statement that we're going to accomplish with our building. And notice that this tower they were trying to build was not born out of humble pursuit of the worship of God. As Karen just read here, the builders had the goal of becoming their own gods. They wanted to make a name for themselves. So God confused their language and it scattered them all over the world. And just like that, the building project was abandoned. Um, Nick, do you have your Bible open? Yeah. Do you mind reading verses 7 and 8? All right. Now, remember what Karen read in verse 4? Why was it they were building the tower? What was they scared of? Being scattered all over the place, right? So uh, they wanted to make a name for themselves because they were afraid that they were going to be scattered otherwise. Ironically, that is exactly what ended up happening to them. God dispersed them because they were striving for peace and unity. You like those words, right? They're striving for peace and unity that did not recognize the supremacy of God and His Word. If you notice that uh, after super contested elections, whoever wins the first speech is, now we all have to come together. Well, that wasn't the speech 24 hours ago when we wanted to be separated. But that's that's the idea here. They're, They're... they were um, striving for peace and unity that did not recognize the supremacy of God and His Word, so they were dispersed. And, and we are now, we seem to be resuming the building project. But in ancient times, they used brick and mortar, but today we seem to be using computers and smartphones and social media to try to bring the world together apart from the supremacy of God, and His Word. Instead of a tower to heaven, we have created an online society and mass media distribution systems that proliferate sexual immorality, self-worship, discord, and misinformation with armchair prophets teaching every sort of falsehood. Uh, <clears throat> I was uh, reading something about Rebecca's hometown church, not her home, not her church, but a church which is in her hometown called Bethel. She loved, no, she did not love Bethel. But the pastor did not believe in sickness. That his wife, his wife was dying of cancer. He would not give her any comfort and you just say, no, no, you're not sick. God's going to heal you. You're not sick. God's going to heal you. Guess what happened to her? She died without any comfort 
because this guy is an arm, armchair false prophet proclaiming these things, these all sorts of falsehood. And in the midst of all that, our language is still confused. We talk past each other, define words differently, value knowledge and meaning in different ways, shun logic. I actually was talking to somebody the other day, and when I presented a, a systematic teaching on how God saves people and starting from eternity past, and he said, yes, this makes completely logical sense. My, my God is not like that. Your God is not logical? That's one of the attributes of God, <laughs> that he's a rational being. And we celebrate, as a, all viewpoints are equally valid, except which one? The biblical one, right? And this is why it has never been more difficult to live as a person dedicated to truth. If we are going to be truth seekers, we'll have to be purposeful and intentional and have very thick skins. Okay? So for the next few weeks, I would like for us to consider where we stand in regard to the truth. One of the statements was, live your truth. You do you, right? That, that's a, a good, good one out there. Don't do you. Do Christ, right? We currently live in a society that preaches the gospel of self. To be authentic, I must belong to myself. To be happy, I must put myself first. To be fulfilled, I must be enough for myself. To be successful, I must control my destiny. And all these ideas build upon the starting point of self. The problem is that the self is a faulty foundation because it's broken by sin. So for the next few weeks, let's commit ourselves to a serious examination of the foundation of our lives. Let's seek to live the truth in a purposeful and intentional way and as we go through this, we're going to consider a lot of those statements. I'm going to try to show to you that it is being taught massively in the Christian church and to try to answer from the scriptures what is the truth that we are to live by. Any questions or comments before we close? All right, so let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you are a good God to us, a God who did not leave us in darkness, but gave us your word and give us your spirit who is able to open our eyes to see uh, what is true. We pray that you guide us in all truth. We pray that the truth will be precious to us. We pray that we would buy it and not sell it. Father, we pray that you would empower us and strengthen us to be people of the truth. We pray you dismiss us with your blessings tonight. Bring us back into your house on your day to worship you. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.